0: The Tudor History and Travel Show is a podcast that brings Tudor history to life by exploring Tudor places and artefacts in the flesh. You will be travelling through time with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide, uncovering the stories behind some of the most amazing Tudor locations and objects in the UK. Because when you visit a Tudor building, it is only time and not space which separates you from the past. And now over to your host, Sarah Morris. Hello, it's Sarah, the Tudor Travel Guide here. Welcome to the Tudor History and Travel Show. It's just a note to say that if you're hearing this, then you are not currently on our patron programme and will only be hearing the first part of each show. In order to access full episodes of the Tudor History and Travel Show podcast, you will need to become a patron of the show via the show's homepage at thetudortravelshow.podbean.com. There you will find information relating to various different levels of sponsorship, with different perks associated with each. But access to all the usual shows of my podcast in their entirety is included in the entry level, which is just $1 a month. We don't run ads on the podcast, so it is made entirely possible by the support of our patrons. So if you enjoy what we're doing here, please consider becoming one. Now, before we get underway with today's Halloween-themed episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show, I just have a couple of housekeeping notices to sort out for the day. First of all, it's a big thank you to all of you who bought tickets for this year's virtual annual summit. Of course, 500 Years of Anne Boleyn, It Girl, Icon, Legend, which is underway right now, this weekend, as this episode goes live. I hope that those of you who are joining me for the summit are having a wonderful time listening to our expert speakers and if you have any feedback for me, of course you can email me at Sarah at the Tudor Guide dot com But if you're thinking, darn it, I missed out. Well, worry not, because of course, next year I will return with another virtual summit. In fact, it's going to be earlier on in the year and it's going to be themed all around coronation. Of course, that's going to be the big theme for the spring of next year. And I wanted to give you all an essential guide to understanding everything everything that you'll be seeing that's going to be going on during the coronation celebrations and also to know how is it different, indeed how is it the same, to the Tudor coronations that would have taken place around 500 years ago. So we don't let the grass grow under our feet here at the Tudor Travel Guide and I already have our speakers lined up and will be recording my interviews with them over the coming months. If you want to be sure not to miss out, then the best thing that you can do is, as ever, subscribe to my mailing list via the homepage of my blog, which of course is www.thetudortravelguide.com. I must say, I am looking forward to speaking to our experts and learning all about jewels and gowns and revisiting the great buildings in which the celebrations will take place, and looking at some of the coronation celebrations from the Tudor period. So, as I say, make sure you're signed up to my mailing list, and you will be amongst the first to know when tickets go live. All right, I now want to give a little shout out to Tudor Places magazine. Now, many of you will know if you tune in here regularly that I am a regular contributor to the magazine. And this month's, or I should say, this quarter's issue has just been released. That's issue three. Tudor Places magazine is really unique in that it caters specifically for people like you and me who love learning about places and locations that are steeped in Tudor history. I am a regular subscriber and I love settling down with my copy of magazine on a quiet Sunday afternoon, although I don't get many of those, and a cup of coffee and just devouring the contents Because there is all sorts from the buildings themselves to objects and interiors to the work of archaeologists, archivists, and curators. And yes, it's all about my pet subject. And I am assuming that because you are listening to this podcast, it's probably one of your pet subjects too. You can subscribe to uh, receive the magazine regularly or you can buy current or back issues from www.tudorplaces.com. And if you are a follower of the Tudor History and Travel Show, then if you use the discount code TTG10, that's the letters ttg and the number 10, then you will receive a 10% discount off the cost of your subscription uh, from the website. So I hope you're going to be able to make use of that. And if you do pick up your copy from this month, you will see that I am taking everybody on a Tudor weekend to Monmouthshire. Visiting the likes of Chepstow and Raglan Castle and Tinton Abbey. It was a place that really swept me off my feet earlier this year. And I hope I'm going to be able to introduce you to a fabulous Tudor-themed weekend away. Well, with that, I think we are done with this month's housekeeping and we can move on with the show. So, of course, this episode is going out around Halloween and so I thought it would be very timely to release this podcast that was recorded just recently at the Tower. I met with Assistant Buildings Curator Alfred Hawkins and we went exploring some of the nooks and crannies, the darker nooks and crannies I should add, of the Tower of London because I wanted to find out about this building as a place of imprisonment. Perhaps it is most well known for that and some of the high profile prisoners like Anne Boleyn and Lady Jane Grey. And yes, I did want to find out about where they had been housed and the kind of conditions that they would have experienced during their imprisonment. But I was also curious about those prisoners who were much lower status. Where were they housed? What kind of cells and what kind of provisions could they have expected? What kind of treatment would be meted out to them, including that of torture? And did we know where those cells and the torture chamber actually is within the tower? I wanted to know answers to all of these questions. And so, towards the end of the day, just as dusk was falling over the tower, rather fittingly, I met up with Alfred and we went on our journey in time. So, buckle up, (laughs) let's go time travelling, my friends. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Tower of London and our expert guide, Alfred Hawkins so welcome to the tower and it's hello to our expert guide today alfred hawkins hello alfred hello Uh, thank you for coming oh well (laughs) thank you for inviting us down to the tower it's very exciting to be here because i know we're going to be getting to all sorts of different nooks and crannies
1: yes we're going to be giving you vip tour of loads of off-limits areas, so should be quite fun.
0: So before we start, perhaps you could introduce yourself and tell tell us all uh, what your role here is at Historic Royal Palaces.
1: So I'm Alfred Hawkins, and I'm Assistant Curator of Historic Buildings for the Tower of London and the Banqueting House, Whitehall. Um, and my role is mostly to advise on the historic fabric, stories, and archaeology of both the amazing sites I get to look
0: after. Fantastic, you do. And you so you spend most of your time here at the Tower?
1: Yeah, ni- 90, 95% of the, my time at the Tower and then some time at the banqueting House whenever they need me.
0: OK, fantastic. So today we have a theme for our storytelling and that's all about what it was like to be a prisoner here at the Tower. And of course we had low-status prisoners and we had the highest-status prisoners. Mm. And I think we're going to be trying to explore what it was like and what kind of privileges each of those different... Types of prisoners had is that right?
1: Yes so I've got a variety of different cells and torturous locations to show you (laughs) Um, so hopefully hopefully we'll be able to see see what it was like for different people of different status and and obviously sometimes it's the high status people who have fewer privileges than anybody else so it's um it should be It should be a fun time.
0: There'll be a lot to talk about. And of course, people will be able to hear that there are people in the tower. Life is going on around us. So if you hear background noise, uh, dear listeners, then you are right in the hub of a thriving little community in the tower. So um, where are we going first, Alfred?
1: So first we are going into the King's House, which was formerly the Queen's House until very recently. Of course. um, Which was built in 1540. And that backs onto the bell tower which is a 12th century mural tower um, where, supposedly, Thomas More was held. So we'll start at the higher status and then work our way down, I think.
0: Okay. well, sounds like a good idea to me, so why don't we go? Lead the way. So we're heading into a door, aren't we, that, well, You know, the public don't get to go into, which is very exciting. So this is the lieutenant of the tower. This this is the
1: house of the constable of the tower, Uh who is the um, queen's representative on site, and a trustee of Historic Royal Palaces. So, yeah, this is this is his private residence. This is where he lives, but also where um, he will bring various guests. So it's not ever on the public route.
0: And. Was this always the constable's house, even when it was built back in
1: 1540? So, yes, the 1540 house was built on top of what we think were the previous constable's lodgings or lieutenant's lodgings. The constable has often been a figurehead, but more of a aloof one. So the lieutenant of the town, which has evolved into what we now have as the governor of the tower, um, did most of the kind of day-to-day work so that they would be, they would be based in this building. Um, And we have evidence, I think it's from the 14th century, when we get the kind of first lieutenant or constables lodgings here um, that are documentable. But it's probable that there were previous buildings here for the same use, because it's a high status part of the tower and it's got access to everything else. So at the moment, we are in a 1540s corridor. Uh, and then through this door
0: which is a rather exquisite door isn't it? It it's one
1: of my favourite ones
0: it's a huge oak door
1: we have the ground floor of a mural tower
0: oh wow
1: which has a lovely vaulted ceiling and all of the kind of...
0: It does, doesn't it? So tell us about this space. I can see immediately that there is a picture on the wall of Sir Thomas More at the Tower of London. So is this where we think that he was held?
1: Yes. Uh, so I'll, I'll rewind the clock a little bit mm. just to give some context, um, although this is obviously a Tudor travel guide. But um, so this, this building was built in around 1190 and at that point was the one of the external mural towers of the fortress. So all of the the land to the south of us which is called Water Lane was the Thames so the Thames would be lapping up against this building
0: Um,
1: and it's an interesting building because it kind of shows us the duality of medieval craftsmanship so on the outside it is a defensive turret and there are defensive elements in here although heavily altered by the Victorians Uh Um, but internally the masonry is incredibly fine and kind of shows us the high-status lodgings that this may have once been. So it's it's serving multiple purposes before we even come to the Tudor period and Thomas More. Um, but yeah, so this, this is where we think Thomas More would have been held. Um, we don't have any direct um, references or documents that say Thomas More was held in this place. We don't have a big book that says, where everybody was held all the time. That's a
0: shame, so,
1: isn't it? It is. It makes our life very difficult, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but what we do have is um, John Fisher, who um, was Bishop of Rochester, who was imprisoned in around the same time, and was held upstairs. And he was a prolific writer. So he documents his time quite, quite well. And so we know he was upstairs in the Bell Tower. Oh. And as Moore was also a religious uh, prisoner of fairly high status it would make sense for them to be I in see. the same place. There's also a myth that they, would, they communicated by poking their heads out of the windows and shouting to each other but I'm not sure, not sure how far we can stretch
0: that one. Well, hopefully we're going to have a show notes page to go along with this podcast Mm -hmm. and we'll have some images so people can see what we're talking about. But perhaps you could just describe some of the architectural features and why this would be considered a high status cell.
1: So the the thing that obviously jumps out when you immediately walk in here is the um, vaulted ceiling and you've got quite finely worked um, corbels at the base of those vaults. Um, But again, that's in the Tudor period, it's kind of debatable how far this kind of masonry would be visible. Um, so when we walk into parish churches and to castles now, we get what we have here, which is a kind of load of bare ragate stone um, and various other bits of kind of Kentish rag and things like that, which all very interesting in their own right, but would have probably been covered with some sort of render or painted or, or mm-hmm. some form of decoration or panelling later on. So. What we have here is the foundation of a of a very high-status medieval building, but what we don't have is the kind of decorative interior that would go over the top of that. Right. So it's it's clearly high-status, but we don't have those kind of elements.
0: Yes, it's been stripped right back, isn't it? It's naked.
1: Yes. No. And it's it's kind of it's a Victorian thing where it's um, oh, everything in the medieval period was all bare stone, so that's tear everything off and uncover the bare stone, which is, is deeply, deeply annoying for um, us now because who knows what kind of mural paintings or
0: right.
1: um, decorative features were stripped.
0: And there's loads of like nooks <laughs> and crannies, alcoves, I don't know what, mm. what you would call them. Is that just because we're in a, essentially a round tower? I mean, why, why have they been, what was their purpose?
1: Uh, well, so they are, um, all of these kind of embrasures are connected to arrow loops. Um, which, although none of these are medieval hour loops, they probably would have been in the medieval period. So these nooks are probably related to the use of this building as a defensive space, mm-hmm. rather than it being used as lodgings. Um, but then again, as we move into the Tudor period and this this becoming the inner wall of the tower rather than the outer wall, that feature probably would have lessened and more decorative right. aspects would have taken their place. Yeah. So you can see there are quite a few kind of post holes in the wall mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately they don't all marry up and there have clearly been bits where some of them have been filled in but it's likely that those represent some kind of partitioning or even creation of a mezzanine level in right. this room so there's definitely stuff going on here that we don't see mm. and whether or not these nooks and crannies which <laughs> I quite like is a descriptive term um,
0: it's a really it's a technical term <laughs> <Alfred>. it is <laughs>
1: That's the joy of architecture, there's there's a word for absolutely everything, and whenever you need it, you can't remember it. Um, Moore didn't have the most privileged time at the Tower, so we know um, his books were confiscated from him and various other things, so although, and I I think there's a letter of him complaining that it's damp and cold, and I mean, it is damp and cold in here, it's a medieval tower, and you can kind of get a sense of that, on this. Slightly cold yes. October day. Yes. Um, but you have to think about it in the context of compare this to kind of Orb timber frame building mm. in some village somewhere. It's still far and away higher status than that. So, yeah.
0: so what kind of privileges? I know. You, I know. As you just said, famously, mm. things were taken away from him. But as a relatively high status prisoner, what could he have expected on a daily basis?
1: It would largely be to be within the gift of the lieutenant of the tower. So we know Moore was dined in the gallery of the lieutenant's house, which is probably that, it's the, Queen, the king's house, sorry. Um, so I, I don't know, we can say every day would have been the same. And depending on how much money you have, you could bring your servants in, you could bring your books in, you could bring paper and whatever to, fill your time, but in between being questioned and spending your time in your apartment or apartments as Mm. it may be, we can't really say this is the day-to-day itinerary.
0: And do we know when high-status prisoners were interrogated, which they were, Mm. would the councillors come to their room to do that and it would be a a, a sort of a verbal interrogation.
1: Well, so torture is always, whenever you come to the tower, it's who was tortured where and when, and obviously torture did happen, but that's not the go-to. You don't try and break somebody by immediately throwing them off the edge of a cliff. So if a high-status prisoner like Moore would probably be verbally interrogated by the lieutenant of the tower um, and they would be shown the instruments of torture and various other things and say, this is what we will do to you if you don't comply with us. Mm. And then if you don't comply, they do those things to you. Um, so, I mean, that can range from, and you, you have to go up in steps because there always has to be something more you can do. Because if you start with the worst thing you can possibly do to something and they endure that, then you're never gonna get anything out of them. Um, so, I mean, it's various things like being hung from manacles and things like that, which don't sound particularly enjoyable, but in comparison to having your nails ripped out and being stretched on the rack seem comparatively think,
0: yes. better. and I think we're going to come, aren't we, to talk and we're going to actually go into a part of the tower where maybe well, some of yes. those things happen, so maybe we could return to some of those <laughs> yes. delightful things.
1: Exactly. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, he would have been, he would have been or high-stated prisoners would definitely be interrogated Either by the Lieutenant of the Tower, or even by the Privy Council, if the whole Privy Council is here, um, yeah. as is the, is the case with yeah. Guy Fawkes later on. For more, off the top of my head, I can't. I don't think we actually have any interrogation mm. records for him. There's the records of the King's Solicitor trying to take his books away, where he reaffirms his um, statement that um, the King is not higher than God, in a sense, in effect, which seals his fate. Wow. But. It's the annoying thing about the tower is we can't say this is what this prisoner did on Tuesday and had this for lunch and so on and so forth. You kind of have to draw yes. in between the lines of what we do know.
0: Yeah, it's still real privileged to be in this room though. It's an incredible thing to think, to be standing mm. in the room where... St. Thomas More. <laughs> it was St. Thomas More yes. in the end, wasn't yes. it? So he did get a Saint. A Thomas More and
1: John Fisher are both venerated yes. as saints of the Catholic yeah, Church. Yeah, it's
0: quite incredible. And before we leave here, because we have a lot of other places to uh, explore, of course the bell tower is famously captured in Thomas Wyatt's uh, poem, isn't it? Yes.
1: Uh, um, yes, it's that he stuck his head out and was able to see the execution site of Anne Boleyn.
0: And what do you think? Can you do that?
1: Not... You can't really see the execution site, where we think the execution site actually was. So whether or not there's some artistic license there.
0: Poetic license, yes. Which <laughs> would make sense
1: for a poet. Um,
0: <laughs> okay, all right. So we don't know. We don't know. It's, enti- <laughs>
1: it's entirely possible.
0: Maybe some poetic license in there. Okay, so where would we need to go next to explore the next stage of our story?
1: Uh, so the next, next we are uh, leaving the King's House and going into number two, Tower Green, which is an 18th century house, so we don't, ha- we don't have any low status cells, which are accessible at the moment, uh, from the Tudor period, but what we do have is a 19th century low status cell, which would be, it's a comparative kind of yeah. space. Okay. So, We'll go in there and you can kind of, you can get a feel for the distinct lack of space.
0: In really? Here. Oh my yes. goodness. I'm a bit nervous, but go on, lead the way. Let's, well, go, and, let's well, go and huddle in the cell.
1: Yes, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure all four of us are actually going to fit in there. Wow. But we will Try our best. It is, there are lots of hidden gems in this building. I bet there are. Well, I mean, there are lots of hidden gems across the town to prefer to so.
0: What do you think is the biggest unanswered question at the Tower that everybody Ooh. would just love to know the answer to? I
1: don't know, it depends who you are. Yeah, I guess. I think, I think it's where people are held. I think if, if we could magic up some sort of tome that says, this person was held here between these dates, that would answer, that would be immeasurably useful to me. my inquiries.
0: Would it? How would it help you?
1: Well, um, we get a lot of, um, the curator's uh, department is open. To inquiries, um, so we get lots of people writing in saying, Do you okay. know where this happened or when this <laughs> happened? and we try our best to answer, but often it's we we have no we idea, we just don't know. <laughs> so, this is number two, Tower Green. Okay, so this was built uh, between 1700 and 1710 as the doctor's house,
0: right? for okay. the tower.
1: So, the um, the famous line in the Yeoman Water Tour is. If you're ill you go to the doctor's house and then if the doctor can't help you you go next door to the chaplain's house <laughs> so in the Excellent. in the basement of this building there is a very low status cell so oh
0: my goodness yeah you'll have to so it's very much a regency building isn't
1: it uh yes yeah but okay. it does it has all of the buildings um well all of the 18th century buildings um, at the tower have kind of elements of both Regency and earlier because they're all built in the shells of earlier nice buildings.
0: Nice. Nice so you... down some steps, sort of down, down into the...
1: So I am, I'm taking you into a dark cupboard, but don't panic. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Where are we going?
1: So, if you see...
0: Okay. Here, oh,
1: we is... have this wonderful door. So it, it could yeah. just be a, a tour of tower doors, really, <laughs> um, which has, obviously... <laughs> Methods of outside locking and this yeah. fantastic panel, a sliding panel, entrance.
0: so you can peek in and you can see your prisoner inside. And this is,
1: but if you go in,
0: yeah,
1: I'll just lock don't you in there for me a bit. In.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, do you, do lock me in.
1: <laughs> it's not the most enjoyable space to be, if you're honest.
0: No, it's pretty bleak, isn't it? So <laughs> I don't know, it's what six, I've, oh, I a couple of meters wide. Nice.
1: Yeah, maybe. Two three
0: meters wide, a square, two three meters wide, yeah, with a small window. Very, you can imagine it being very damp in here. Yes,
1: so cold. when you have when you have Moore's complaints of damp and cold.
0: Yeah, it's nothing compared <laughs> to this. No, I can see that now.
1: It it is one window in a not very substantial,
0: yeah, kind of. Embrasure. So this this would be typical of your lowest status prisoner. So tell us about you know the life of. What what kind of low-status prisoner would end up? Do we have any examples of... I'm thinking, for example, and ask you, would she be considered a low-status prisoner?
1: Yes, I imagine so. So, I mean, Anne is brought here under um, charges of heresy and is famously one of two women who are tortured at the Tower. But she would definitely be considered a low-status prisoner, and you, you would imagine that she would be in here. Women are interesting prisoners at the Tower because often they are held within the bell tower or the king's house in general ah. um, in comparison to male prisoners who are kind of thrown in these kind of cupboards and just forgotten about. Right. So the best kind of example of low-status prisoners would be a, a lot of Jews who were brought to the tower for during various pogroms and um, unsavoury elements of our past, but it's it, it could be anyone and any, everyone really. It depends... Depends who you, you want to lock up.
0: And you used that sort of phrase, thrown away, kind of just chucked in, and, and I guess, I mean...
1: You can, you can get a sense of that in here.
0: You could imagine, couldn't you, just being mm. somebody shuts the door and you're deaf, deaf too. I mean, were they provided with food? And what do we know about who provided for them?
1: Well, it would, there would there would be some sort of stipend, um, I imagine, within the lieutenant's accounts to provide for the prisoners. If you had money, you could bring things in and you could bribe the right. young who's who was looking after you or the jailer or whoever it was. Yeah. If if you were looking for answers from somebody, you would keep them alive. But it wouldn't be
0: yeah. kind of yeah.
1: three or four course meals. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nowhere. I noticed when we were in the belt out, it looked like there was a guard robe.
1: Mm, yes.
0: There's no such thing here.
1: No. <laughs> no. I'm, I imagine you would be provided if you were lucky, with some sort of pot, pot or bucket or yeah. <laughs> container. Again, it's one of the difficult things is the we are so heavily reliant on whether people were able to write, whether people did write, whether those records actually survived. So with John Fisher, there's, we've got a fabulous record of his time here and there are various other people who write about being in the Tower. But low-status prisoners, there is next to nothing.
0: Do we even know what the general outcome was for a low-status prisoner? Did they tend to die here? Were they executed? Were anybody, it was, was anybody released? <laughs>
1: it, would, it, would, it would depend largely on what, what you were accused of. So, I mean, um, Wyatt Jr.'s rebellion, obviously lots of his followers were imprisoned at the Tower and most of them were executed on Tower Hill. Mm-hmm. The, whole, the whole point of the Tower is this kind of representation of Monarchical strength you don't you don't just imprison people and forget about them really mm. you, you, you use them mm. to make a point and the point is the crown is right usually
0: yeah
1: um, and the best way of doing that is executing them in the middle of your capital city which tower hell a very years.
0: publicly of course was <laughs> yes. the case in the back in the day
1: so there are there are executions within the tower obviously um, although most of them happened actually in the 20th century most prisoners, if they were found guilty and sentenced to death, would be executed on Tower Hill. There, I mean, there would certainly be people who would be acquitted to believe, but mm. they don't write about it, no. so we don't know.
0: No. Well, we've been standing in here, I don't know, five or ten minutes. It's and quite was, chilly, isn't it? I've got just what I was going to say. I'm getting quite cold compared to the Bell Tower. I was quite comfortable. I'm just in a T-shirt today because it's a lovely, actually a lovely autumn day, isn't it? Mm. But it's chilly in here.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's... The tower is interesting from an environmental point of view because you have these massive thick stone walls and they're fantastic for keeping heat in, but they're also fantastic at keeping heat out. So once it's warm, yeah. you're fine. You'll stay warm for ages. Yeah. If it's cold, it is very cold. Yeah. So, yes, I can't, I can't imagine this being a particularly nice place to be, if I'm honest. No, no.
0: So I think we might move on. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we need to go? I'm not unhappy to be getting out of this cell, I have to tell you that.
1: Are we going? I think we're going to the chapel.
0: The chapel. Oh yes, yes. Of course,
1: where a few people ended up. Do you want me
0: to turn the lights off? Again? Oh yes, please. Good. Here we go? Oh, it's nice to be out into the fresh air and the sunshine, which is a relief. And we're right outside the, the chapel. So, um, of course, everybody will, particularly people who love Tudor history, will yes. associate this with with many places of burial of very significant. Uh, characters, but why did you want to bring me here in particular?
1: Well, I think I think I mean that is that is the, in a nutshell, that is the reason. So the the Chapel of St Peter Ad one of two Royal Peculiars and chapels Royal within the Tower, it's built during uh, between fifteen nineteen and fifteen twenty, and is essentially the parish church for the Tower.
0: And for it's the still next that today. Yes, isn't and it? it is
1: still that today, yeah. which is is one of the reasons why I love it so much. It is. It has always been the thing that it is whereas everything else at the tower kind of gets repurposed into whatever it needs to be but the reason we're here when we're talking about prisoners is obviously most imprison most periods of imprisonment come to an end be that through one gate or mm. in a box mm. so this is where a lot of the people who were executed either on tower hill or within the tower ended up and so i thought it'd be be a good place to just have a chat about do, that.
0: do you know how many people are buried here?
1: Oh, um, well, we have the so we do have a document um, for the register of burials at the ch- at the chapel, and they date from 1550 to 1821, off the top of my head. And I mean, there are there are thousands of people really buried in the chapel, and it's it's not a complete document by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Um, so the area we are now standing on, which is outside the chapel, was actually part of the burial ground.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the burial ground covers most of Tower Green and then stretches right along the parade ground. Oh, so
0: it's much bigger than I thought. I knew there were, because obviously when Anne Boleyn was executed, there's, mm. there is an account of seeing the the, the burials of the um, Francis Weston, etc. Mm. So I knew there was some yeah. area. I had no idea it was so no, big. No, it was absolutely
1: vast. So you, again, it's, it's the perception of the tower in that period it is an institutional powerhouse with loads of different um, kind of governmental organisations based at the tower so there are hundreds if not thousands of people working here and living here and if they die this is usually where they would end up so when you think about the chapel of St Peter Alvincula it's very easy to fall into the idea of thinking it is just one of these buildings in the complex of the tower but it's better to think of it As a village parish church, where you go, then you walk through a very large burial ground in order to get there. Um, And the burial ground in this instance happens to be all the way along um, the parade ground. So it is mostly a parish church for the community of the tower, but there are certainly hundreds of people who are executed on Tower Hill who are also buried here.
0: Right. So there are just some people who lived and worked here are buried in the graveyard, but there are also prisoners who are executed. And I guess that the slightly lower status would have been buried in the the graveyard outside. And then of course, we have some of the highest status folk who are actually buried in the chapel. Yeah,
1: so I mean, burials within churches are fairly easily regimented by status because the closer you are to the, the sanctuary, the better you are, effectively. And the closer you are to God, the less time you spend in purgatory. So, yeah, you'd you'd certainly imagine that low-status people who are executed would either be buried here or within one of the local parish churches, um, such as All Hallows, Um, but when you start getting to high-status people like Anne Boleyn, George Boleyn, Lady Jane Grey, um, those kind of big big names, you would expect them to be within the chancel of the the chapel. Annoyingly, the entire chapel was, well, annoyingly or interestingly in my view, And the entire inside of the chapel was excavated in 1876 as part of works to renovate the chapel. Mm -hmm. And during that process, they identified the bones of Anne Boleyn through looking at the um, bones of her vertebrae, which were particularly small and bore witness to the Queen's little neck. So that's the story that forms the foundation of where Anne is on the memorial pavement and is obviously a focal point for thousands of people to come and of connect Mm. um, with Anne's story however because that analysis lacked any kind of scientific Mm. basis largely because none of those scientific methods existed Mm. at that point we cannot say that is where Anne is because if we were looking if we were looking at that today not that i would ever advise intruding into a completely stable christian place of worship you would look for pathological marks in the bones include such as quite catastrophic damage that you would receive when a sword goes through your neck and you'd also date them through the stratigraphy which is um, evidence through the layers of soil um, and probably carbon dating and that kind of thing so it's it's a lovely myth and it may well be true uh, because those bones were found in the holiest part of the chapel but we just can't say for 100 percent this is at.
0: Yeah, right. I remember writing a little bit about that and all the, you know, some of the bones, co- coffins had collapsed on each other and they, they, whether yeah. they, the right bones went back into the right pots, we, we just don't know any no, of that, no, do we? No,
1: exactly. And I mean, that's that's the reason why the chapel was excavated was because the floor was entirely unstable and yeah. that kind of comes back to the fact that this chapel has been here for 500 years and for largely 400 of those years um, was used as a place of burial. Yeah. So, You bury people on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. And eventually it does get to the point where they just start collapsing in on each other. So most of those remains were uh, disinterred and placed within ossaries in the crypt, which is not accessible to the public and is a part of the consecrated, active place of worship that the chapel is. Um, But yeah, the, the few individuals who were identified, as significant members of the royal family were reinterred in the chancel, and that's where the memorial pavement comes
0: right, from. Right, okay, so they are actually in the ground. Actually, I was going to ask you about the crypt. Um, is Sir Thomas More buried in the crypt there?
1: Well, so again, it's the kind of is the difficult thing of where did the Victorians put everything? Tom, <laughs> Thomas More wasn't identified during that process. He was he was definitely buried within the chapel, but because he wasn't identified and then well, and, and again, the problems with identification that we've already, I've already mentioned. He's probably in one or multiple of the ossuaries, as with everybody else. So it's, it's all
0: got mixed up, maybe. It's
1: it's it, it certainly all got mixed up, but it's not. Mm. I'm, I'm painting a worse picture than it is. Ossuaries <laughs> are a fairly normal thing in most churches, and it's just where you put remains once you run out of space, and they are still in a respectful area and looked after by a resident chaplain, but. Mm. No. It's, that's I would say is probably the question I get most frequently is, where is this person buried? Yeah. And the answer always is, I would love to be able to tell you that it's this place, but I can't. So, but, yeah, it's, yeah it, it's difficult, but the, the myths have, have certain elements to them and it's a good, it's a good focal point for people to engage with the story of Anne and various other people who are so important to our perception yeah. of Tudor history.
0: Absolutely, but it's beautiful because, as you said, this building was built during the reign of Henry VIII, so it's a mm. bona fide a. Tudor bit of, of, of actually of the tower, which is great. It,
1: it is, and it has, it has interesting architectural bits um, inside it, actually, if any of your any of the listeners go inside. Um, on the northeastern wall, there's a hagioscope, which is a hole in the wall, and a, um, or a squint and a piscina, which are kind of elements of Catholic, which you'd usually see in Catholic chapels. And so you can see that it's built by Henry as defender of the faith, as his Catholic chapel for his fortress at the Tower of London. Mm. Um, And then very quickly becomes obviously a Protestant chapel um, following the split with Rome. So it's it's a fantastic survival, particularly at that transitional point in English history. Um, And it's a fantastic survival because it is fairly plain. So when you go to Hampton Court and to the Chapel Royal there, it's kind of opulently decorated and just this marvelous place. (laughs) Um, But when you come to the Tower, it's fairly, it's not laid back. It's still got absolutely amazing ceiling and various other and the masonry arches in particular quite nice. But it's it's definitely a step back, and that kind of shows its use as a parish chapel, parish church for the Tower, alongside being a royal peculiar, rather than. Very good. any of these other royal peculiarities which are solely for the
0: use of the market. Yes, you, mean you couldn't get more different between here and the Chapel Royal at Hampton Court, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, we were talking about yeah. the highest status burials and the name Anne Boleyn came up. Of course, perhaps one of the most famous Tudor prisoners um, and, of course, the most high status. So, can we just go over to where the royal apartments would have been and talk a little bit about Anne Boleyn's stay here as yes. prisoner? Yeah, of course. Okay, so?
1: So we are currently um, just to the north uh, west of the the White Tower, so we'll walk along the parade ground and then down to the South Lawn, which is where the Royal Apartments would have been located. And um, what's what's probably saddest and most interesting about Anne's um, imprisonment at the Tower is that she was she obviously stayed here before her coronation and those apartments were largely either rebuilt or done up in 1532 specifically for Mm. her to stay in of 1533 before she Mm. was um, crowned so it's the kind of it's and the one of the most fun the best examples of that is the onion domes on the top of the white tower yes which were installed um on the orders of henry during that kind of scheme of work so Uh Henry, so they
0: were constructed around 1533 when they were renovating yep. the Royal Apartments, right?
1: So it's, it's, it's one of those interesting things it's because we associate Henry VIII as this kind of monstrous tyrant who went around cutting people's heads off, which obviously he was. But in his earlier years, he's the dashing
0: yeah.
1: prince of Europe and quite often displays his affections through architecture. And so... Anne arriving here before her coronation, I mean, it would have been absolutely overwhelming that your new king has effectively rebuilt part of a palace for you.
0: Absolutely. You've been listening to the first part of this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. The remainder of this episode is available to patrons only. To become a patron of the show, head over to my Podbean homepage and you can find the Become a Patron button in the top right-hand corner. Alternatively, you can find a direct link to Become a Patron in the text associated with this podcast. <laughs> And finally, just before I go, a quick reminder to say if you are interested in booking your place on this year's virtual summit, 500 Years of Anne Boleyn, It Girl, Icon, Legend, then make sure that you hop on over to my blog guide and subscribe to my mailing list. I will be sending out a notification as soon as the doors open. Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like and rate this podcast so we can spread the Tudor love. Until next time, my friends, it's happy time travelling.